Hello listeners and welcome to what is now the fourth season of Pebble in the Pond podcast. We appreciate your support throughout the first three seasons uh, as we get our listenership up towards that 16,000 mark. Uh, thank you everybody, we appreciate it and um, yeah, and what a privilege it is to bring you uh, these stories from amazing people. We are here and we are aiming to create a ripple for change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I am the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year our association hosts several leading mental health conferences that allow us the chance to meet and connect with the most fascinating and and accomplished people in the mental health space. Listen in as we go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand. From lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics, leading community organisations and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain content, themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering for some listeners. If you feel you need any assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. Sam Frost is an Australian actress, media personality and author. First winning hearts after appearing on The Bachelor Australia in 2014, then starring in the very first Bachelor Australia in 2015, Sam has been described as the Aussie girl next door. In 2015, she became a national radio host working alongside comedian and TV personality Roe McManus before joining the cast of Australian TV drama Home and Away as Jasmine Delaney in 2017. After more than a year in the making, Sam published her first book called Believe with Hatchet in 2022. With an undeniable presence and popularity, Sam joins us as today's podcast guest to speak about Believe, a mental health initiative for women focusing on depression, anxiety, and the sometimes toxic world of social media. Sam Frost, thanks for joining us and thanks for sharing your your journey and your insights with our listeners. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Listen, let's be honest from the start, you're going to carry the whole conversation, which is fine because people <laughs> want to hear more about you than, than what I have to say. But listen, to give our listeners some context, tell us a little bit about yourself. We know, I know plenty of us probably heard of you and know what you're doing at the moment. And if not, they're going to find out. But as it relates to your childhood upbringing, how was it for you and what was it like growing up with mental health and people not talking about it and how that made you feel and, and the challenges you went with that? Well, growing up, I had quite a challenging childhood. I haven't spoken about exactly the details of my childhood because I want to protect the privacy of my family. Of so uh, let's just say it was very challenging and yeah. we had a lot of difficulties growing up and As a result, as a teenager, particularly through about 13 to 17, I was a completely different person to who I am now. I was angry. I was confused. The dialogue about mental health wasn't around. No one spoke about depression. No one spoke about the impacts of childhood trauma. No one had the language. And on top of that, I also had my mum struggles a lot with mental illness. And there was also this pressure 
and of figuring it all out as well. Like I didn't understand what was wrong with my mum and then I felt like something was wrong with my brain. I, I genuinely as a teenager thought something was wrong with me and I wouldn't let people get close to me. I would put shields up. I used humour a lot. I created a charismatic personality to sort of shield people from actually getting to know who I am inside because I thought if people figured out who I am, they'll realise that I'm not normal, something's wrong with my brain. Then obviously as I went through my 20s, I started seeing a psychologist and I realised that all of this was, I was actually struggling with depression and, and struggling with... That my, was retrospectively looking back? Yes, In your correct. childhood. Okay. Yeah. You later so, saw the signs and symptoms. Was that when you were growing up? That's right. But, but those conversations weren't happening, so I didn't know, which is why I do the work that I do now, which is working in mental health and having these conversations, especially with our youth, because... I don't know what conversations are having that, that are having in schools or, or parents. I think it's changing a lot. I, I, I'm 33 now, so I feel like even in the past 10 years, it's changed quite dramatically in a really positive direction. But certainly at the time, I just didn't understand what was wrong with me. And it was a very isolating experience. And I felt very alone and, and, and just genuinely didn't want to be on this planet anymore. I didn't mm. think there was a purpose and I, and I thought I would be doing people a favour if I wasn't here anymore, which is really sad thinking about it. And I had to do a lot of work to heal those traumas as well. I did a lot of work with my psychologist. I went to a mental health retreat as well, which was just solely focused on healing that inner child that was quite broken, which I feel like I was in a very fortunate position where I was able to do that. But it's definitely transformed my life. When, when you think reflect on the childhood, do you think do you think it was the fact that you didn't weren't able to seek help? Do you think it was because there wasn't awareness, there wasn't education? Do you think that you didn't understand what it was? So do you th do you think it was partly the stigma maybe that you knew what it was, you knew you had to get help, but you didn't want to, or do you think that you didn't even know it existed that you could get help? I didn't know it was, I didn't know it existed. Okay, I'm from a small town in Victoria. the The conversations just weren't happening. I had no idea. I I thought. Yeah, I don't know what I thought, but the, yeah, the conversations weren't happening. And it wasn't until I got older where I started talking about depression and, and working with psychologists. And I, I thought in my, I was probably about 22, I think, mm -hmm. when my stepdad advised me to go and see a psychologist. And I was like, I'm not crazy. Only yeah. crazy people see it. My mum's crazy. I'm not crazy. And it was also, I started working on myself and seeing a professional because it started as more of an obsession. I didn't want to be like my mum. So I was like, well, something's wrong with my brain and if I, I don't want to end up like her. Yeah. So it started off as that and then it's obviously evolved into healing and just creating new pathways and becoming a better version. How did it impact on what you were doing professionally during your 20s? It was really hard. I feel things, I feel quite a heightened sense of emotions. I feel the highs a lot and I feel the lows just as deeply. It's hard because... Uh, when you're working in the public eye, at the time I was on radio and I was struggling really bad with my mental health. I was extremely depressed. On top of that, I was getting criticised quite a lot because I was quite green to radio. But I'm pretty sure anyone who got the opportunity to do a breakfast radio slot with Rove McManus 
Trust me, the pay was fantastic. You would go, oh my God, yes, absolutely sign me. I didn't care that I hadn't had experience and they were willing to give it, a, give me a shot. So I just tried my best and did what I had to do. But I did receive quite a lot of heat from that. And that took its toll on my mental health quite dramatically, considering I already had my own fractures and fragility with my mental health as well. So yeah, it was hard. I felt like I would have to sometimes, and even acting on home and away, sometimes I had uh, highs and lows during that period, depending on relationships or where I was yeah. uh, with my own mental health. But you just kind of put on, it's like you just put on this jumpsuit and you're just going, you do your job, and then you can go and be miserable when you get back home. Yeah. You know? So I kind of, that's how I kind of dealt with that. Because, I mean, you started, the, the first part of the public eye for you was on the um, bachelorette, mm-hmm. or, or bachelor, sorry. Yeah. And then Bachelorette, is that correct? That's correct. And then you went to radio. Yeah. Did you ever seek that life? Was it something that it was purely coincidental, the way you applied to get on the show and then from there everything took off? I mean, yeah. did you ever dream of, of doing those sorts of things in your life? No, it was quite funny because even my sister said to me, she's like, she knew that I was quite a sensitive. And she's like, I don't know if this is the right thing for you, Sam. But at the time, as I said, I was from this small town. Everyone shacks up with their high school sweetheart and buy yep. their house and land package and have kids at 22. Mm-hmm. And I, I obviously didn't have a partner and I, gen- I was so naive. Oh my God. I was so naive. I genuinely thought they're going to search the whole country for the perfect man and I'm going to have the opportunity to date him. Oh, my goodness. And I knew I had a charismatic personality, so I thought if I could just get in front of the right man, <laughs> I could win him over, but I didn't know how to meet them. So I genuinely thought it was going to be a great idea to meet the right one. And that was before reality TV is what yeah. it is now. It was relatively new. I think the only shows really were Australian Idol, Big Brother, really, yeah. and that was really it. And they, the producers seemed genuine, <laughs> yeah, right. taking advantage of this naive soul. But anyway... Yeah, okay. And so that propelled you into the public eye. Mm-hmm. With that comes expectations of the media, of the public, but also probably of yourself. Mm. Was that a challenging period for you to deal with that? Yeah, I hid. I hid at my sister's house for about three months, I reckon. I stayed pretty low for about six. I just, I remember feeling like I just wanted to feel like myself again. I had no idea what I was getting myself into and the criticism and the height of it all, it all seemed so noisy and I was dealing with my own stuff as well. We had just lost my stepdad so I was grieving and it was a whole bunch of things that were happening in my own personal life and then on top of that add on this new life that I, I felt like it wasn't even me. I felt really detached from this image that people thought that I was. So I just hid at my sister's house and just laid low and just wanted it to all go away. I mean, yeah, and then I ended up, I don't know how, I don't know how I got through that. That was a really hard time. You were getting help seeking through this though, professional yes, help. Yeah, yeah, I was getting professional help. And that helped massively, of course. But yeah, it was just one of the most bizarre experiences. And I even reflecting back, I kind of feel like it wasn't even me either. Like it just seems so surreal. But I remember seeing like a lot of tabloids were writing about me at that time and I just remember going, that's not even me. They don't even know me. They have no idea who I am and they're creating this narrative or, or this vision of who they think I am or this image of who they think I am. And, yeah, I just didn't feel like that was me at all. But what's nice is I feel like I've 
stayed authentic to myself throughout all of this. And yeah, that was like eight years ago that I did The Bachelor Now. And it's not, I actually got a message from someone from my primary school and high school. She messaged me the other day. She's like, oh, I love when I see your stuff. I've been following you from afar. It's nice. She goes, you're still exactly the same person who I remember. Like a bit goofy, like slightly awkward, but that's just me. So yeah, while it has been hard, one of the most important things for me is to try and stay as connected to myself as possible. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's important, isn't it, as you go throughout life to make sure you try and be rooted and, and grounded in life with what you're doing. Uh, something that you uh, seem to have that persona and, and project that image anyway, uh, for most, for, for what I can tell anyway. We, we really appreciate your presentation today. Tell us a little bit about what you and your sister are up to because there's some, uh, out of your experience, and possibly out of your sister's experience, I'm not sure, but you guys have teamed up to create Believe. So I'm keen to hear about not only the book, but also what you've actually created with Believe. So my sister and I created a mental health platform. Originally, we didn't actually know what we wanted to do. All we knew is a lot of people, particularly women, were reaching out, sharing their stories, stories that I don't think they've told anyone. And I felt there was a great responsibility to do something about it and to help where I could. So We created an online platform. We've teamed up with psychologists and we provide a space for people to share their stories, to connect with other people and to provide resources and tools to get help where they can. So it started off as that. Then it grew into doing workshops. So we go and do youth workshops, adult workshops online and in person. We're primarily focusing on pre-teens and teens That's where a lot of interest is coming from, from parents as well. So we create programs to help build their self-esteem, their self-confidence and try to help with anxiety, bullying and just maintain an overall well-being and and health. So it started out as a digital forum where people could go on there and share stories in a safe environment. Mm -hmm. What what would you say the demographic is of of that following? Is it predominantly parents is it it's uh, is it's, it, it actually is varies it? so it's probably from around about the, the main chunk is probably about 25 to 40 i would say year years mm-hmm. old women and but now that we've skewed it to being younger and we decided to do that because my sister ended up getting qualified to doing to being a youth mentor yes and we were just getting that feedback from people so we felt like we need to stretch it out to being younger and, and, and now we've written a book. So, yeah, and so the book is just an expansion of my own experience and an expansion of the website and just sharing uh, what I've been through so hopefully people can resonate with that. And, and at the end of each chapter, we provide tools and activities that might be struggling. Yeah, cool. And they can get that from anywhere, right? Yeah. That book? Okay. Oh, good bookstores, I think. Okay. So tell me about the – so the – the focus on youth and kids. Tell me why the youth, the focus on youth is important for you and your sister. Well, we both feel really passionately about this because we were both lost when we were teenagers. And sometimes I think we are just trying to be the person we needed. And I think when we focus on that, sometimes we think we're trying to brainstorm of new ideas and everything and trying to figure out what people want to hear. And then we keep going back to the, the, the real reason why we're doing it and our purpose, and that is to be the person we needed. I feel that sometimes, and, and, and I feel like, and a lot of parents have said this feedback as well, the youth 
love seeing, particularly someone that, you know, they might watch Home and Away or something, to connect with them on a real level and to realise that we're not that different. And I think that human beings, we are all quite similar. We all have our own struggles. We all have our battles. And when you find the common link and connect via conversations and reaching out, then you realise that we're all pretty much the same. We're all just trying to get through it all together. What a great idea and a great forum to create and platform to create to do that and create change. And targeting the youth is critically important because there is a high percentage of of adult mental health issues uh, actually stem from childhood trauma and and incidents at childhood age. So so well done on doing that. You mentioned that a couple of key things that are the thematics that are coming up in the forum are predominantly around bullying social media and grief. If we focus on bullying for a second, tell us a little bit about that, what you're seeing come through in the forum and the issues or challenges people are going through. So a lot of issues, especially with preteens and teens, is bullying. A lot of people, it starts at school and then it continues on to social media. So they're not getting a break from this. It's 24-7 and unfortunately people have access to their phones at such a young age. Oh, it breaks my heart. Like, I didn't have to deal with that. I didn't have, any, I didn't have a phone. No. Or social era. media. Yeah, that's right. So I feel really fortunate for that. But How young are we talking? Like from about 11, we're getting 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, especially when they start school as well. So that's 12, sorry, high school. Yep. So that's 12, 13. Yeah. Trying to make the transition from primary school to high school and then they're opening themselves up to new people, new personalities, and I'm not sure what's going on. I don't understand completely, but I do know that a lot of it is stemming from this hierarchy through social media. People are creating groups on social media where they just slam the person and they write all these nasty comments about them, and it's just a, a like a DM messaging forum, like, you know, you DMs on Instagram, and they're, it's like labelled why we hate Maddie or whatever and then they all just write all these nasty things about them. With the person in the form? No, not with them but then they'll, they'll well, this is what we've seen and then they'll comment on their posts, they'll, but all this bullying, this bullying nature. You can block and delete all you like but they're still having these conversations and then that's being mimicked at school as well. Yeah. So I'm not sure. Or they'll create Facebook pages as well. It was not Facebook, Instagram. Instagram pages of why they hate this person and right? writing all these awful comments about them. And I don't know how to manage that. All we say is don't engage. We try to give them tools to help, you know, block and delete. But essentially these things are still happening and it's out of our control and it's out of the child's control and I'm not sure what the answers are. It's scary, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, to bring a child up in this day and age, I mean, it, it's it's a worry. Mm. And and you do see kids, certainly in from my knowledge, kids at primary school, you know, and as young as grade four, grade five, grade six are on the phones. And, and it seems to be the unwritten sort of guideline is when they start high school, they then get the phone, which is – you know, year seven or whatever, mm. and and then they get access to it. And then so parents give in because they say, well, you know, if little Jimmy's not on it and then all his mates are on it, he's then left out. And yes. so we've got to get him the phone to be part of the group. And then so he's, he's there in the group or, or she could be in the group or whatever. And that's where it starts. And all of a sudden it's because if you don't have it, you're excluded 
and you're not part of the team or Absolutely. part of the group. And so parents, I guess, are caving into that inclusivity to try and get them be, to be part of the team or part of the group. Absolutely. We're seeing the exact same thing that's so common and that's what parents are feeling so helpless about as well. Social media, I mean, it can be it can be a force for good. It can be used in ways that can be very beneficial for society, for people, for friends, family. It can be a great tool. There's obviously the dark side of social media as well. You very public profile on social media and and do a lot of good with your profile, which is which is rare. But well done on that. But tell me, I mean, you're you're not. I mean, even at, as an adult, you're not. You're still susceptible. Mm-hmm. to being bullied and harassed online. How do you deal with this? Yeah, look, I struggle a lot with social media. I've got a very unhealthy relationship with it. I don't want it, but I need it for my job. And I and for the work that I'm doing, I do need it. I need it. But it is one of those things that it's really hard to navigate. And sometimes if I'm in a fragile or sensitive state of mind, I can be thrown or triggered by something on social media and it can set me backwards and what's concerning is because I am aware of these things I see a psychologist I'm constantly working on my mental health and trying to prevent these things happening but it's still happening to me there are a lot of people who aren't seeing a psychologist or aren't in the privileged position where they can and I don't know how people and navigating through this. It, it's extremely difficult. What we do with our workshops and what I try to implement in my own social media is to try to create a safe space as much as possible. I don't care. I limit my comments. I have words that get blocked. So if someone tries to bully me or write something toxic or abusive, I have a list of words that I can write in. So they think their comments still up there. So, that, so they get their little <laughs> kick but no one else can see it. Is that right? Yeah. So I think that's that, cool. yeah, Instagram has a couple of cool tools like that. So I think that's a step in the right direction. So I just write a whole bunch of comments, words and blocks it out. I also am not afraid to block and delete people who write awful comments. I don't care. And I just think, and some people say, oh, you're a public profile. You should listen to what we have to say. It's my own personal page. And no, I don't. Yeah. And, I, and I don't want to tolerate that. And what I also find is when This mentality, this like sort of pack mentality that when people see one comment that's negative, then people just kind of jump on board and then it- Contagion effect. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so what I do is I just delete it and block it or word in the the comment moderator because also I don't want to encourage that behavior. Mm -hmm. And what I also think as well is I think the media doesn't help because nowadays the media and the articles that are written- are basically just some of them are just a bunch of negative comments that they've strung together and said, this is everyone's opinion about something, when it's really not. And so what it does is then it encourages people to write negative comments, to have a judgmental opinion Mm. because it might get picked up on the media and, you know, and then it's just reinforcing this toxic cycle. Yeah. Yeah, you read anything and and it's also quite skewed because – you know, I mean, I, I mean, I could go so far into this, but you know, the the media publication could be owned by the particular TV station, so they're going to obviously find the comments. You can find comments about whatever opinion you have if you look hard enough. Yeah. And so they can just decide we want to write an article like this. We're going to find string together some negative comments, and that's going to be the opinion. 
you know, like it's so toxic. Yeah. It's really it, – It I, must yeah. be tough. Yeah. Like, just it, – it'd be great to have someone that can just filter it out so you don't have to actually see any of it. Correct. And just do your post and be done with it. Yes. And maybe we're down the track with that with, with technology. But, I mean, yeah, for, the, for the most part, you're doing – with what you can control – uh, it's great. It's a great platform for you to get the word out and what you're doing and, and all the great initiatives you're doing. But I mean, even people like, let's talk about girls who are young girls, you know, early teens who are on social media. You don't have to have a massive following to still get bullied and harassed, mm-hmm. do you? No, you can, you can be anyone. Yeah. Anyone can get bullied and harassed. I feel like there is a bit of responsibility on big tech. I think that there isn't enough policies in place to protect our youth. I feel like if they can, they can censor anything really. They can put up banners if you have a conversation about something. So surely if they've got the technology that can figure out what you're talking about, you know, like if you talk about COVID, for example, you've got the COVID banner that comes up. That's just an example of how big tech obviously are aware of the conversations that are being, that are being had. Right. I feel like that while it is, you know, the responsibility of parents, teachers to try and educate kids as much as they can to just be a good human and, you know, and protect children from bullying. I also feel like there is a responsibility for big tech. You know, they're designing these apps and these social media apps to be addictive. And surely if they see particular words of harassment and bullying, they should be able to block or ban the user. I feel like it's quite simple, but, uh, you know, that's not, that's not happening. Yeah, it's scary, isn't it? And there, there has to be some ownership with that. But even just the way social media is just taking away the attention of people these days, like the amount of time that people spend scrolling through their phone and and you always find it's easier for people to want to read and engage in negative things than positive things. Mm-hmm. What is it about our culture where we just want to bring people down? I don't know. I honestly am not sure. It's really interesting you say that because – I was just do, I was just doing like a little I was just curious and I ended up I can't remember what I went on I went on some sort of page it was like a entertainment news I don't usually listen to it it's usually a load of rubbish anyway but it was uh, I was just curious to know what the comments were so I sort of went through and read them all every single article there was some judgmental criticism it was all negative all ne- and people are engaging and I don't understand what's happening, but everyone feels like, I feel like people are just being judgmental and negative just for the sake of, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why people are like this, but it's concerning. Do you think social media has made, made it easier to throw jabs from afar without actually having to engage with the person in a, in a like, cause I mean, they probably never talk to people that way face to face. That's right. But because they have this access to the platform digitally, it's almost like, yes, it's their name, maybe, maybe it's not, but they can just throw throw little yep. bombs in from the side and not really care because they don't see what happens to They're it. hiding. They're hiding behind a username. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that that is definitely contributing to it. I remember a perfect example, and this is what I talk about when I'm talking about bullying and cyberbullying I always bring up this example because I'll never forget it. I was getting bloody roasted by this guy and I ended up just going, mate, that's not nice. I can't remember what I said, but I engaged back with him and he wrote, oh, my God, I can't believe you replied. <laughs> and he was like, and he was just so excited and he was just 
yeah. wanting me to bite back. He didn't actually have those opinions. No. He was just wanting to bait. He was bored. And I just think that that's a perfect example of, you know, we don't know who these people are behind the screens. Maybe they're bored and they just want to have a mm. fiery conversation. I don't know. But, yeah. The importance of not getting your identity tied up in this because if you wanted to read and take all those comments on personally, I mean, it must be difficult to have that filter, that 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 wall, that shield around you that says, I'm not letting everything get through. Mm-hmm. Certain things maybe you do let get through, but I mean, it, it must be challenging to have that front constantly when you're in that public spotlight to just... Yeah. It's something that I've had to practice and it's something that I'm constantly working on because sometimes they do get through and sometimes I see a comment and I'll think that that's people's opinion of me. You know, you forget the positives, you forget the kindness and it's very easy to get wrapped up in it. I generally, what I do if I feel like I'm getting overwhelmed is I'll actually delete the social media app and I won't go on it for days but still, you do definitely. You, you, I think everybody does. You know, you can't help but focus on the negative sometimes. People can have a whole bunch of positive things and then someone says something and it just hurts because then you think, is, is this what people think of me? And it can be really detrimental to your mental health. And it's pretty natural that people want to be liked. Like you want to please people, you want people to, you know, you want to be seen to be nice and doing the right thing. And so when you don't see that, it it can be quite devastating, I imagine. Yeah, and sometimes you feel deeply misunderstood as well, I think. And that's something that I have to remind myself is, and my sister's really great at this, at grounding me. She's like, these people don't actually know you. No. And because it, it used to upset my family quite a lot. My brothers and my sister, they love me so much more than this world and I'm so grateful to have them as my number one cheerleaders but they would get quite upset if they would see negative comments and they would want to fire back and I will just let it go. But it would just upset them because to them, like, I'm the greatest thing in the world and they love me dearly and then people are saying these things, they're like, they don't know you. But now it started off as they were frustrated and anger, but now they use that as a grounding tool for me and they're like, these people don't have, they have no idea your story. They don't know anything about you. They hear snippets of you and what, and they create an, an idea of who you are, but they don't actually know you. Mm. And I just have to remember that. The role that social media is playing in in young girls, it seems to be the focus of Believe as well. Mm-hmm. It seems to be more around the, the female side of things. Yep. We're talking about anxiety around not having enough followers, possibly enough likes per post, a fair bit around body image, mm-hmm. I would assume as well, which may lead to eating disorders or some sort of depression as well around that. What is that? Those are those the sort of things you're seeing, and what do we do about it? Yeah, that's absolutely the problems that we're seeing constantly, particularly women and how they feel like they need to present themselves on social media. I have conversations with my little brothers about this a lot because I've always told them not to engage in like it's a it's really tricky because you at at the same time you want to be like post whatever you want to post and feel empowered and all the rest of it but I do feel like particularly young girls we're actually going to do this a girlfriend of mine she's this brilliant reporter and we were we had this idea of working in with teens because we had about I think we found six girls who were about 16 
posting very sexualized photos of themselves. And we want, and then we were clicking on their profiles and seeing who's interacting with these people. And a lot of them were men in their 40s, 30s, you know, and we're like, this is such a dangerous territory. But they had like tens of thousands of followers and and sometimes more. And we're like, this is so, because then it's feeding that narrative mm-hmm. of going, if you want to be popular, this is what you need to post. Yeah. And which is just completely untrue and it's not healthy and it's very damaging. So when we researched that, we found that such a huge problem. That was a couple of years ago now. I'm not sure what the stats would be, but I feel like it's a very dangerous territory and people are looking up to those people, not particularly those ones, but they're looking up to people with large followings and seeing what they're posting and feeling like, oh, well, my body doesn't look like that. Well, I don't post like that. And I don't wear clothes like that, so perhaps I need to do that to get the attention or the following of the likes. Uh, how, do, how do we take the focus off the number of likes and followers? Oh, mate, I don't know. The good thing is, though, Instagram did take off the likes, the number, the number the, of likes, which okay. I feel like helped because people weren't comparing themselves. So I felt like that was a really good thing, but Facebook brought it back for some reason, which is strange. But I feel like that was a good step in the right direction. And I guess... For what to do to help, I guess, just more women and people with a public profile perhaps being a good example and leading by example. But, yeah, it is a problem and I'm not 100% sure of the answer. Uh, Stronger by Believe Mm -hmm. is the offshoot which is creating the workshops and the education side. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, I signed up to it today. (laughs) So my preteen little girl, uh, I think she could benefit from something like that for sure. You're delivering them online Mm -hmm. and hopefully going back to in-person at some point. Yeah. So we were in person and then COVID hit. We went back and did another one in person, but we are getting a, obviously a broader reach online. So that's been really great and and we're loving that. But yeah, so we're hoping to bring it back more in person. And and those courses sort of touch on the aspects of bullying, Mm -hmm. body image, that sort of thing as well. Yep. A lot of self-belief, managing. Mm -hmm. And also what we're finding as well is these Beautiful teens are struggling a lot with anxiety as well. Yeah. And so we just give tools and coping mechanisms to try and help trick the mind into believing that you're nice and calm and safe and, you know, and that usually helps them. And, yeah, so it's basically confidence, body image, school tips, studying tips. So we cover a whole broad range of things. And the workshops like a couple of hours or are they overnight, a couple of days? How uh, does it work? So we have the ones in person usually go for about two hours. Okay. We have all day workshops, but that's usually for older teens because, okay. you know, they've just got more of an attention span, I think. And the online ones usually go for about an hour and we'll either do that. if We've got a flourishing teens one, which goes for eight weeks and it's an hour each week. We cover a whole bunch of things with that. So that's probably our most popular one, yeah. Sam, how's your mental health? (laughs) That's a very good question. It's actually quite good at the moment. It's really good at the moment. I feel like I'm in a really good space. I left home and away at the end of last year to focus on my mental health because it was not great. I feel like COVID really took its toll on my mental health, as it did to many people. Just stay isolated at home. Yeah, absolutely. And and quite scared. Like I think a lot of people were scared because this is a brand new territory. Yeah. No one knows what's happening. They're shutting the world down. Businesses are closed. You can't see your friends. You can't see your family. You can't leave 5K radius. 
and and you and, and you're online and you, exactly <laughs> and you're stuck with your damn phone and so and obviously at that time there seemed like there was no end point like now we're able to have conversations we don't have to wear masks all the time like that seemed like that was never going to happen again like it just seemed so far away and even now I think there's a concern that it could come back at any moment and you know I think people have started changing the way they behave as well people have lost that human connection they've lost the beautiful gift of empathy I think some people are starting well from what I've seen from last year I felt like people were comparing like you weren't allowed to feel depressed because there are other people that have it worse which of course you know it's but it's all relative like it's what's what's causing pain for you is still valid and it's still very real and just because someone else has it worse doesn't take that away. So I feel like, yeah, COVID was hard and I was away from my family and then I kind of, I think for a lot of people it changed people's perspectives and their priorities. So my family is really close to me and I've spent five years on Home and Away, a job that I loved, but you can't do anything else. Like it's your whole entire life. Is that right? Yeah. <clears throat> big days. Huge days. And when you're not on set, you're learning your lines for the next days and you're sleeping and it takes its toll. You're exhausted. And I had another three years on my contract and I had to think about it for a long time. And I decided that it's probably a good time to prioritize my mental health. And I'm always telling people to prioritize their mental health, make sure you put your mental health first. But I wasn't doing that. Yeah. And last year was really difficult for me. So, yeah, I quit my job. It was really scary because I didn't have a backup job and I actually don't make any money from Believe, not at all. And so I, yeah, I didn't have any backup plan. I didn't have yeah. anything and I just, you know, I just backed myself and thought, okay, cool, i got to go home. So I went back home to my family and now I'm doing really well, focusing on myself, which is good. That's great. Yeah. Walking the talk. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Leading by example. Does it give you a Does it give you a whole newfound respect for Alf and Irene that have been there for years? <laughs> yes, I, it does. <laughs> Doing it day to day to day, year in year out. Absolutely. I love and I love <laughs> love love all the cast. They're such beautiful people. But man, it's a big job. Yeah. So is acting something that you want to pursue moving forward at some point? Yeah, I love acting. I absolutely adore it. It's you know, it's such a amazing experience and to be able to use different parts of your brain and to challenge yourself yeah. and to stretch yourself beyond what you could ever imagine is pretty cool. I always like pushing boundaries. I always like doing things I've never done before. I find it exciting. So for me, I want to keep pushing my boundaries. I want to see how far I can go in terms, not in terms of like my career, in terms of myself and what I can do as a human being to just keep pushing and keep figuring it all out. I think it's exciting. In moving forward, you've got a lot of things to look forward to. Mm-hmm. What are the what are the top few that is most exciting for you right now? It's exciting for me. Just a whole there's a lot of things. I don't know. Life's exciting. Life's exciting when you don't know what's happening. You're traveling, you Tra- I'm go. always traveling. I'm yep. like my partner Geordie and I, we have a podcast and we it's a rural road trip. We go to little rural towns. It's a whole bunch of rubbish. It's nothing like this. Like <laughs> if you you like you're in the right spot if you want to learn. It's brilliant. But ours is just dumb. So <laughs> <laughs> and that just started from a trip that you guys just took. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It was really fun. So we just did a rural road trip. 
We went through to Central Australia and people loved it. Like we're just posting dumb stuff and people were really engaged and they're like, I think it was a nice distraction for people. So yeah, we thought, oh, well, let's just record on this and see how we go. So we're going to do another trip and we like we like connecting with people. I yeah. love talking to people. I love meeting new people, uh, especially in rural towns. They're so down to earth. I feel like they're my people, you know, yeah. like you just go there and you're like, ah, oh, they don't care. This is great. They yeah, love cool. the simple things. So, yeah, we'll, we'll travel, do some more traveling and figure it out. We want to try and move to Queensland eventually. It's too cold in Melbourne. Is it? Ugh, it's Cause miserable. Because you, you moved away there for a few years, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I've, I've moved. My sister's in Queensland, so I think maybe we'll go and spend some time with her. Yeah, I don't cool. know. There's a whole bunch of things. but Sam, I was going to say for people who want to get in touch, but I assume that social media is the, the best way or believe or yeah, something. Yeah, social media. I do check my DMs quite regularly. You know. Make sure they're all right. Well, when I'm when I'm on social media, but I actually do have an email which is for business use as yeah, well, or, sure. or if people want to reach out, it's hello at believebysamfrost.com. That's usually the one where if you really if you want to get to me, you, you do that because sometimes I don't check my DMs. That's great. It's a great opportunity for people to reach out to even see the great programs that you guys are doing. And I'm sure there's probably more in the pipeline. My last question, I just want to just ask you quickly: the influence of Chris in your life and in the in what you're doing, it's obviously something that you're both passionate about, but the ability to, the ability, the opportunity to work with your sister must be pretty rewarding. It's amazing. My sister has been my rock. She's my best friend. She is honestly my saviour. I truly think that. I think she is the role model that I needed. She's always guided me from such a young age. I always use this example when I'm trying to describe her, she thinks she always says to me, oh, you talk me up too much, Sam. But she's my big sister. She's four years older than me. And growing up, I was always, I was just lost and I was awkward. And she was quite beautiful, like physically beautiful. And she got a lot of attention and she would always, always redirect her attention to me. So people would be like, oh, Christine, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, do you know, Sam's doing this really cool thing at school. And Mm. she always redirected her light to me. And I never forgot that. And I was like, mate, you don't have to do that. Like, it's fine. I get it. I'm the like awkward little sister. But yeah. She's, really, she's selfless. She is. She's selfless. She's so amazing in every single way. And she's, we're quite, we have opposites as well. We have similar values. We've got the same values and what's important in life. But she's very, she's very conservative. She's logical. She thinks rationally. And I'm the complete opposite. Right, I'm, I'm I get little. it. <laughs> Is she the one in Queensland? Yes, she's the one okay. in Queensland. Gotcha. Yeah, so together we're actually a great team. So I bring out the fun and silly in her and she's like, mate, you should probably think about this a little bit more. So we're a great team and she's a beautiful influence in my life. Well, it sounds like you're certainly on the path. And <laughs> congratulations on everything you've done to date, Sam, and and also on what you're doing. It's very inspiring. It's great to see people out there who are not waiting for it to happen but being part of the solution and getting things done. So congratulations on that and thanks for having a chat with me. Thank you so much for having me. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au and be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.